Good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. Welcome to Four Corners. We're beginning our first of four Get Your Sexy Back talks. We're really glad you came today. Um, I wanted to let you know that our text today will be taken from Cosmopolitan Magazine. And uh, if you don't have your copy, you can go out and buy one. But uh, I wanted to start. We, we pulled this magazine out as we were looking for some of the artwork for uh, this series. And there was an interesting article that really relates to what we're talking about today. Um, I'm going to go to that page right now. And it's, uh, what's your dating timeline? Now, we're talking about dating today, but look, if you're past kind of like dating time, you know, don't, don't count this out because my hunch is, is that you're an adult, maybe you're married, and uh, you probably know somebody who's dating. And if you're a parent, you might need to be listening today with extra sensitive ears because the truth is, it's your job. It's your job to teach your kids what your values are and um, how you're going to you know, help them understand what the expectations are, what's wise, what's unwise. We've talked about that question a few times. And I thought as a way of beginning, we just kind of look at the dating timeline together. What do you say? You ready? You ready for this? Evidently, on your first date, here's what you can do. You can kiss on the cheek, possibly lips, but no tongues involved. That's what it says right here. And then between the first and the second date, you have to Google each other's name. And then also between the first and second date, you can show each other your, your tattoo somewhere in there. And on the second date, you can introduce sexual innuendo. That's what it says. And then between your second and third date, there's this thing called snogging. I truly don't know what that is. Uh, if you know what snogging is, you can come up and tell me later. Uh, maybe in my ear if you need to. But then somewhere between your second and third date, you also need to have the STD conversation, it says. And on your third date, I'm, not, I'm just going to leave that there. You can discuss your ex. Um, by the fourth date, you can get pretty intimate, it says. Not all the way intimate, but pretty intimate, it says. And then you have to admit your family dysfunction. All right? That's what it says on the fourth date. I'm not, I'm just, I'm not making this up. It's right here. I mean, Cosmo, they're clearly experts. Um, it's, this is, it's really good stuff. But by the time you get to two weeks, you have to introduce them to your friends. You can um, do some dirty talk, it says. Um, but at one month, major milestone, public hand-holding, um, which is just amazing to me that public hand-holding comes way after getting pretty intimate, just not like all the way intimate. Um, I wanted to just introduce and say to you that, boy, that timeline, I have a hard time relating to that. And I don't know if they're like setting the curve or if, if they are um, defining what's already out there or not, but I thought that we might be able to look at what I consider to be a more authoritative text. Um, to look at this idea of dating. Now, we're going to talk about dating this week. The next week, we're going to jump straight long into marriage. We're going to talk about what a guy likes to have happen in, in, a, in a marriage. Not just the sex part. That's, that's later on. But just what, what does a guy want out of a marriage relationship? What does God design us for? And then we're going to talk about women the week after that. And then we're going to close our series talking about intimacy. And you know how we do things around here. If you've been with us, if not, welcome to a, a different kind of church. But if you've been with us, you know that we don't hold back any punches. Um, we'll call our last week together a PG-13 talk. And it's a time when we'll li literally open up God's Word, the Bible, where we think wisdom for life is found. And we'll look practically at what God has to say about intimacy because we believe that God designed us for intimacy, physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy. And so we feel like if we don't give you that piece of the puzzle, we're not giving you the whole counsel of God on the subject. So we're going to look at that as well. But today, we're going to talk about Dating. And I want to start off doing something that you're not really supposed to do um, when you're giving talks in a church like ours. I want to talk about the negative side for just a minute. I kind of want to approach this from the negative perspective. And I want to talk about defective dating. Um, when I was 
coming up with some language for this, the first word I had was dumb dating. But I thought that might be just a little bit too, too much out there. But let's talk about some defective dating practices. And again, if you're dating, really listen up. If you're a parent, um, really listen up. If you have somebody in your life who's in the dating zone, really listen up, listen up. Because we believe that all the people in your life are significant. That means all the people in your life. You're significant to them. And we're supposed to be living in community. We're supposed to have wisdom. We're supposed to care for each other. We're supposed to share insights. And it could be that while you may not be dating or you don't have kids, it could be that you know somebody who needs to hear some practical wisdom from God about this whole idea of dating. Because the truth is, we're not doing this very well as a a country. If I were to tell you, for instance... Now, if you were to get off at exit 19 on I-75, that's the Union Center exit. And if I were to tell you that 50% of all the people that got off of that exit had horrific accidents. And they're like hydroplaning all over the place. Trucks were jackknifing. Wheels were falling off of cars. People smashing into guardrails. You know, major slaughter and mayhem on the exit 19 there. You would look at me and say, Ben, I know that's not true. I, I, I've driven that exit. I've gotten off there. Well, while that's not true, let me tell you what is true. of all people who get married today won't be married six years from now. 50%. And the problem, let me just be blunt with you, the problem isn't marriage in and of itself. The problem happens on this side of that runner that goes down the aisle in marriage. It happens on the dating end. And instead of like trying to convince people that they should stay married after they get married, maybe we should take a preemptive strike and look at the practice of dating a little bit more intently. A little bit more honestly. So what I did was I got myself a backseat of a car right here. This is right straight out of the church van. And uh, this was donated by a family in the church. And I got to tell you, it looks like it's seen some action. I don't know. But, um, you know, the, the view from the backseat um, can, can be very interesting. I, mean, I just want to talk openly and honestly, honestly with you about some debate, uh, some defective dating techniques that that really center around a car. Now, don't get your guard up because we're not just going to be talking about all the do's and don'ts. You know, we're not that kind of a church. We want to just be honest about this. And so what I want to do is I want to start off just kind of looking at my keys. And I want to tell you how some people enter dating. And I want to look at some passages of the Bible that deal with this as well. But I want to tell you about how some people enter dating. They enter the whole dating idea as if they're getting in a car with somebody, but they don't ever take time to look at who's driving that car. I mean, you can use these keys. I'm sure you have a set of keys on you somewhere, but you can use these keys as a reminder to tell us in our dating practices, we should be paying attention to who's driving the car. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, let me just explode this for you just a little bit. Do you know that somebody's driving your life? Right now, somebody is at the wheel of your life. And there's really only a couple of options. It's either you or somebody else. For a lot of us in this room, We like to believe, we try to make this a reality. We try to allow Jesus to be at the wheel of our life. Now, there's a passage of Scripture that I'm going to throw out right now that a lot of you are just going to go, ah, then that's so hard, especially if you're dating. Because when I give you this passage of Scripture, it's not even going to be on the screen behind me. It's just kind of blunt in your face. You're going to know it maybe if you've been around church. When I give you this passage of Scripture, you're going to know that if you're considering who's driving the vehicle of the person I'm wanting to date, who's driving their life, When I give you the scripture, you're going to know right away that it eliminates about two-thirds of the possible people I could date if I were dating. Scripture goes like this. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's what it says. It says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, I want to talk to those of you who are wanting to follow Jesus. I also want to talk to those that aren't really sure about that right now. 
Do you know that one of the biggest and best ways, one of the easiest ways to get off track with dating or get off track with relationships is to try to connect with somebody that has different values than you, whose car is being driven by somebody else. You're not going in the same direction. It's very easy to begin a relationship automatically off the rails. I mean, it's like you're on a train and you're heading down those tracks going downhill and you're already derailed a little bit. And at the bottom of the hill, there's a big steep curve. That's what it's like when you don't pay attention to who's driving the life of the person you're trying to connect with. Now, this isn't true just with dating. It's true with close friendships. It's true with with family members that we have to be very aware of who's driving the vehicle. Who's behind the wheel of the life of the person you want to connect with? This passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians says that for those of us that want to follow Jesus, for those of us that are exploring Jesus, for those of us who messed up our lives, who've blown it, we're on our second or our third marriage, or we just, you know, wrecked our whole dating relationship scene thing. It's just one big, you know, massacre, kind of like that illustration I gave you with Exit 19 on I-75. Let me just tell you right now, the simplest, best way to make sure that you're off to a good start, that you can drive in this car for a long time, is to make sure that the person behind the wheel of the life of the person you want to connect with is Jesus. I'll be honest with you, if it weren't for Jesus, I don't know that Jill and I would still be together today. I mean, we've lived together for, as married people, for um, 17 years now. Um, We're going on 18 years. And there have been times along the way that the only thing we had in common, it felt like, was we had some kids. We weren't acting like that mattered too much to us. And we had a commitment to Jesus. And it, at times in our marriage, it was the only glue that was present. And I can't imagine what life would be like if we didn't have that glue together. See, it's like you're at the bottom of a pyramid. She's over here and... I'm over here and we're both a little selfish at times and a little ego driven and we don't always want to do what's best for the other person. But we're here, we're here. But she as a person is trying to follow Jesus and me as a person, I'm trying to follow Jesus. And at being at the bottom of the pyramid, it's like as we as we honor that goal in our lives to follow him, it automatically as we go up that pyramid, it pulls us together. That's why it's so important. I mean, listen, you wouldn't be at a party. You wouldn't be coming home from a bar and being offered a drive of somebody you saw sitting there drinking all night long. And, you know, you know, they're a little bit inebriated. You wouldn't get in the back seat of a car with a person. You know, you wouldn't give them your keys and ask them to drive you home, would you? But that's exactly what we do with some of our dating. We don't pay attention to who's behind the wheel. We don't consider their values. We don't know where they're going. Now, I'm not talking about being perfect. You're not going to find anybody perfect. But in our dating, we need to at least know what the default position is. Who really is going to set the agenda for this life? And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're trying to date people that aren't, you're already, you're already headed down the wrong path. Now, I'm not saying it can't work out. It can. I'm just saying you're going to have yourself a heck of a lot harder ride. It's just going to be a harder ride. So the first thing we'll just use our keys is see who's behind the wheel. Who's driving? Who's in control? The scripture has been pretty clear about this for those of us that are following Jesus. And if you're investigating Jesus today or you're kind of returning to church and this makes you sound makes me sound like or makes God sound like or the Bible sound like God is some capricious, you know, segregating God and those over here. And these are, well, that's not what's going on here at all. This is not some capricious mean God saying I'm going to divide out and I'm going to pick who and, 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 and you're just going to have to live by my rules. What this is, this is God saying, I love you and I'm going to prevent some challenges for you. I'm going to keep you from 
from going over some rough roads. I'm going to keep you from getting derailed. And the best advice I can give you, if you don't hear anything else, is limit your dating. Limit your dating. Limit your close friendships. Be very careful how you do this. Because if you're trying to connect deeply and intimately, if you're wanting to get to know somebody who doesn't have Jesus behind the wheel of their life, and that's something that's important to you, you're asking for trouble. It can work out, but it's going to be harder. Let me give you just another one. We talked about not being unequally yoked, and the reason for that is because God wants us kind of hitting on all cylinders relationally. He wants us to be reading the same owner's manual, you know? Um, I, have a, uh, I have a suburban, I have a Honda van. Uh, I, we were going to look in a, at another minivan, but I just couldn't do that. There was, I just couldn't be a two minivan family. So we got this suburban. And if I wanted to work on my Honda minivan, I wouldn't pull out the suburban owner's manual. You know, I wouldn't pull out that tech book and figure out how to work on my Honda. Because if I'm reading from two different owner's manuals, it's just not going to work, right? Well, same thing's true in a relationship, in a dating relationship, as I'm building close friendships with people. If we're off of two different playbooks, if we're looking at two different owner's manuals, it's just not going to work. And the other reason why this is important, I just want to throw you one more before we move on, is that um, it's important to know that if the relationship takes off, if it ends up in a marriage, you need to be on the same parent map, too. You need to know what's going to happen with your kids. I can't tell you the number of parents I've sat down with who have teenagers now, and parents all through that developmental time in those kids' lives, they were on different playbooks. They weren't in unity on what they wanted to have happen in those kids' lives. There was conflict all around discipline. There were all kinds of challenges. They didn't have the same playbook they were playing off of. They didn't have the same values they were trying to instill in their kids. They weren't doing, walking the same wisdom down, you know, down that unified path. And that's a real, real heartache when that happens. In fact, sometimes it just kind of wears me out to hear the stories. I mean, I'm trying to be compassionate and all that, but the truth is, is that a lot of our challenges in parenting, in parenting can be headed off all the way back at the dating scene to see if people are playing off the same roadmap. And for the believer, for a person who's following Jesus, the roadmap, our map is the Scriptures. It's the Bible. And God lays this out for us, and He says, look, you can turn to this book You can use your wisdom that I've given you. You can ask for counsel from other people. But in this book, you're going to find some practical wisdom for how to raise kids, how to do life together, how to get by conflict. What kind of integrity, what kind of ethos do you want at work in your kids? You can find common ground here. And it's the kind of common ground that's been tested for 2,000 years. And we all know when it doesn't work. We've seen it. You have some neighbor's kid who it's not working for already. There's some kids right now in children's who it's not working for, and that's okay. We're going to work with them. But for you and yours, you want to set yourself up for success here, and you can do that by paying attention to who's at the wheel. All right? That's one way. Let me tell you another way that we kind of get off track. We get this showroom mentality. Again, here's my car, right? Have you ever gone shopping for a car? Jill and I bought our first car a few years after we were married. It was a 1991 Saturn. It was a year after Saturn had come up. Man, we, we showed up in that, in that showroom, and we had decided we were going to wait like a month till we were going to buy, right? We were going to go look at all the cars in our price range. We had about $10,000 to spend. You know, we're relatively newlywed couples at the time. And we're going we're to spend about ten. So we were going to do all of our investment. And I'm a shopper. I, heard, I start getting buyer's remorse before I even purchase things. So, I mean, I, I'm a shopper, all right? I, and I'm paying it. Man, when we walked in that showroom, it was like, wow, the lights are on. And I'm looking at cars, and before I knew it, I'm like 10 minutes in. I'm looking at a car, $17,000, and I'm thinking, how can I make this work? 
how are we going to make this work? I know we can do this. And what it was, it wasn't that the car was exceptional. I mean, the, the functionality of the $17,000 car and the functionality of the 10000 they were the same. They were the same, same functionality. I mean, this one had a CD player. That was a big deal at the time. It had, you know, electric seats. And this one over here, you had to roll them down. But the functionality was essentially the same, even though the price. But what got me was I had a showroom mentality. I was razzled and dazzled by the glitz and the glam, right? You know what? The same thing happens in dating. We look at the outside. We have a showroom mentality. And we think, whoo, he's hot. Or, wow, she's hot. You know what? And that's appropriate in its right place. It just can't be number one. There's, there's a deeper reality at work than, the, than just a showroom glitz and glam. The Bible separates a couple of kinds of love. It talks about a love that is very deep. It's a commitment kind of love. It's a love that will stick with it through thick and thin. It's the kind of love that lasts that lingers, that builds into people. And it calls it an agape kind of love. It's the kind of love that God has for us. And the Bible talks about another kind of love. It's not a bad kind of love. It just doesn't rise to the level of importance of agape love. It's called eros. It's that, wow, she's hot or he's hot. Or for some of us, my friends think she's hot, so I'll go after her, right? Let's just be honest. Or, you know, or I know my friends will be impressed by him. I'll go after him, right? Um, we kind of date by proxy sometimes. But the Bible talks about agape being at the top, but eros has its place too. But when you get those confused, you're just like me going in the showroom knowing I've got about $10,000 I can afford. But everything in me is drawn to that $17,000 car because I'm going to look good driving it. Right? You know what I'm talking about? But when we do that with dating... When we have a showroom mentality, we're heading down the wrong path. It's like we're on that train going down the hill and a couple of the wheels are already off and there's that big steep turn and when we hit the turn, there's not going to be much room. There's not going to be a lot of margin for error there. It's very important. Now, I want my daughter, I want, to, I want to somehow figure out how to communicate with my daughter that yes, the outside matters and you want a person who takes care of themselves and yes, you have to have a certain physical attraction. We're going to spend some time on that in week four. But underneath the skin, there's a lot of stuff that matters way more. Because there's going to come a day when things that are in certain places now are going to sag. It's going to be a very different story. There are going to be places right now where there's hair growing that in 20, 25 years, there's not going to be hair there anymore. And uglier still, there's places where there isn't hair. That in 20 or 25 years, there's going to be hair there. It's disgusting. And what are you going to do then? I had to shave my ears the other day. That's wrong. You shouldn't have to do this. Right? Oh, oh my gosh. But when we have a showroom mentality and we, we forget that although eros is important, that attraction, it's not number one. And keeping that in, and I want my daughter to learn this. I want her to look below the skin. I want her to know that values are important. Packaging matters, but what's in the package really, really matters. Let me give you another way that we kind of blow it. I've got a couple of props here, but sometimes we fail to pop the trunk. I've bought a couple of used cars in my life, and I'm not very mechanically inclined vehicle-wise. I can do some other things. But, um, so whenever I, I buy a used car, I've taken my dad or my father-in-law, who both understand cars, you know, I'm looking at, you know, what buttons work, what lights, and, you know, what, what, what razzle-dazzle thing. My dad, he's kicking the wheels, he's, he'll pop the trunk, and he'll lift up the, you know, the, the liner there to see if there's any rust or what. He's paying attention. And 
let's just use this luggage here as a way of saying, when it comes to dating, we've got to pop the trunk and see what's in there. And do you realize this? Do you know everybody has baggage? You got it. I had it. I didn't know it. My wife had baggage that we didn't know about. And when we got married and started driving in the car together, even though we were trying to let Jesus drive our car, we had some baggage we hadn't unpacked. We, we did some premarital counseling. We had a couple of conversations with somebody very close to us, but we really didn't delve into all the stuff. And I got two bags up here to just to represent two things that you may want to just put on your radar. The first one we'll just call the, the baggage of family stuff, family of origin stuff. Now, I love my wife's family, right? They have a special place in our heart. Nobody will take their place, but they didn't raise Jill in the exact same way that my parents raised me. We had some differences. Like, for instance, in my family, we had these things called discussions. They happened all the time. Jill visited us, and she asked me why I, my family argued all the time. Well, we didn't know we were arguing. We were discussing politics and religion and theology, and on occasion we'd slam our hands on the table, and it was all good. We had a great time with it. Even to this day, we get together, and somebody will introduce a topic, and two hours later, we're still, you know, all, everybody's pontificating about it. We're all experts in everything. It's a great place to hang out. That was my family. Jill's family, they didn't discuss much of anything. I mean, they just kind of did their thing. In fact, conflict, or what looked like conflict was very much avoided. And so, you know, if they could sense conflict 10 miles down the road, they went ahead and adjusted now. Whereas in my family, conflict, oh, let's go there. Right? We would fight, we would argue or have a discussion at the drop of a hat, and if there was no hats dropping, we'd drop our own. I mean, that's kind of the way it worked. We love, we gravitate to that sort of thing. Jill's family, they play by the rules. There's this anti-authoritarian bent in my family. I mean, we've never met a rule we couldn't get around. It's just the way... Now, you put... Us together, we, Jill and I, had not unpacked those differences. You put us into a situation together, and you guess what happens? It gets chaotic, you know. Are you ready to rumble? Kind of, you know, that's kind of the way it was. I mean, we would, we, we fought, and we had to learn our own styles. I had to learn that if it looked or smelled at all like conflict, Jill was already starting to back out of the situation where I'm wanting to engage. And, boy, it's been an amazing dance for us. It's been an amazing dance for us to try to figure this thing out. And had we paid more attention in our dating, you know what would have happened? We'd have saved ourselves a lot of agony later on over the last 17 years. We'd have saved our children from knowing there was tension in the house. At times they didn't need to know that. We would have not argued about things that didn't matter. And I would have figured out how to approach some things and she would have learned how to engage some things. We'd have saved ourselves a lot of heartache. But we, we didn't pop the trunk while we were dating. We didn't pay attention to that. I didn't pay any real attention to her family of origin. And just to be honest, and she wouldn't mind me saying this, we've chatted about these things, there hasn't been a single issue in our marriage that has been any more difficult for us to navigate than our family of origin stuff. We're getting through it. But man, we could have saved ourselves a lot of trouble, a lot of heartache. Now, there's one more bag up here. Let's just call this the temperament bag. Did you realize you have a personality? And the person you're wanting to connect with, they have a personality? In fact... One of the things I loved about Jill when we were dating, she was so organized. I mean, she's such a detailed person. I'm not. And I thought in my mind, man, we're going to get together. She's organized. I'm not. She loves details. I hate them. Man, this is a, I'm going to play off her strength. She's going to understand my weakness. You know where I'm going with this? And what seemed so wonderful and logical, even though I kind of knew the differences over time, you know what really happened? The very thing that that was one of the things that I found attractive and desirable about her, after about a year I was ready to kill her. 
I just, you know, I can't stand this. You've got to stop. You're killing me. You're sucking the life into me. All these details. You know, when I asked you how your day was, all I wanted was fine. That's all I wanted. You know, I just wanted to give me the summary. I don't really care about the details, right? And she's trying to talk, and I'm like trying to get away. And she's locking the door, you know. Um, it, was, it was tough. You know, that's fine. That's normal, and you can get through it. If we had just popped the trunk, paid attention to the baggage, we would still have those basic predispositions, but it would have saved us some agony. We would have saved ourselves some challenges. We wouldn't have argued as much. We would have enjoyed our journey better. The point about the baggage is not like unloading it and make it go away or finding somebody that's just like you. The point is understanding it, bringing God into the middle of it and saying, God, can you help us here? Can you, can you help us here? And this is what dating's for. Dating is not about having a good time, going to the next best restaurant, going to this cool place to hang out, having somebody so you're not lonely. That's not what dating's about. Dating, or courtship as it was called in the Bible, uh, is all about getting to know that person and seeing, are we a match? Seeing if Jesus is driving the car of both wives and if, you're, if you can go in the same direction. That's really what it's all about. And you know, even if you take Jesus out of the equation, a lot of what I'm sharing with you is just practical. And it could be that you're sitting here married and you know that you make some of the same mistakes that Jill and I have made. And you're wondering if you're even going to make it to the end of the road together. Well, it's not too late. You can back up. You can pop the trunk and get some advice and look honestly and diligently at your stuff. You can admit, like we had to, that we're both too selfish, flawed individuals who like to get our way. That's the reality of your marriage, too. You're selfish. You're flawed. You like to get your way. You don't want anybody to tell you what to do. You want them to anticipate your needs and desires and just kind of show up magically and get them satisfied. That's how we all are. That's how we all go. But that's the beauty of having Jesus drive the car, of knowing your disposition, knowing where things are, checking it out, not having the showroom glim or a gla- a glitz get to you, the glam there. Because when you pay attention to those things, you realize my selfishness, my ego, my drive, the thing I want, the thing that's causing conflict, I can work through those things. And, and the 